Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we think about your fatherhood that our minds would be set upon you, that you would help us to uh, fight the distractions that uh, wage warfare against us. Lord, I pray that that every one of our thoughts and meditations would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, I'm tired tonight. It was a hard morning. It was just an emotional emotional sort of morning, a uh, transitional morning, something that's been, we've been working toward for a long time. And so, um, really all I want to do is try to encourage you to think about our Father tonight. Just to set our minds to find refreshment in God, to find our thoughts going to Him, and, and for you to go away with um, just praising the Lord that He is a good Father to us. This past week I taught some of this lesson to the contenders group, and so all the boys here should have this down. They should have all the, the, an, the answers to the questions that I ask, especially when I get to that quote on Calvin, right? You're all going to have, have that, Hudson. You'll have it for us, okay? You can just quote it back to me. I know how my, sinking, my, my teaching just sinks right in. But a little bit of review about the fatherhood of God. What, um, how is God a father? How is God a father? Renton. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> okay, that's one way. He's a provider. Absolutely. That's one of the things we'll get to. That's one of the things we talked about. Let's get... He created us. How does that make him a father? What did you say, Sarah? There you go, right? Who's involved in that, that uh, creation over there? Um, yeah, uh, how else has God a father? Get, go deeper. Go not according to his actions, but according to his being. How is God father ontologically? Or is he ontologically father? Okay. Okay, yeah, let's use, let's use begotten. Um, the Father has always been the Father, the Son has always been the Son, the Holy Spirit has always been the Holy Spirit, and yet there's a primacy, I guess we can talk in those ways, about the Father, because the Son is said to be eternally begotten from the Father, right, and related to the Father as the Son relates to a Father. 
And the only reason that we recognize fatherhood here on earth is because fatherhood preceded the creation. Right? So that's what Ephesians 3 is getting at. He is the father from whom all fatherhood, or all families, derive their name. And you could, a literal translation of that could be, for this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every father um, or for, from whom fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so God the Father was always Father. God the Son was always Son. God the Holy Spirit was always the Holy Spirit. And they were all one together. What one does, the other does, the other does. Right? And, so they're, and they're all equal in power and glory. And yet we, we do want to hold to some distinction we have to talk about some order within the Trinity because there has always been an order. The Father has been Father, the Son has been Son, the Son has not been the Father, and the Father has not been the Son. And if you think I'm talking in weird ways, this is how the early church fathers talk about Trinitarian theology. They state the obvious because the obvious is not so obvious and the obvious needs to be stated. Right, and it's simple statements like that that aren't very simple. Um, so, the reason fatherhood is important is because God has always been a father. Right, that doesn't make, you know, today you have to always make these statements like, well, that doesn't make motherhood superfluous. And I mean, God created motherhood and He called it good, right? And so, it's it's, um, but ontologically. Motherhood is not a part of the Godhead. Fatherhood and sonship are. And so um, that's why fatherhood or patriarchy is imprinted on his world. Okay, So we see fathers everywhere. Where do we see fathers? Anywhere there's authority. Anywhere there's actual authority. In our ruling, uh, in our governors, there's fatherhood. In our police officers, there's fatherhood. In our homes, there's fatherhood. Right At our work, our bosses. There's fatherhood, right? So there's fatherhood. There's where, anywhere authority exists, there's um, fatherhood. Um, what is federalism and how does it tie into fatherhood? I'm just throwing a whole bunch out here really quick. What is federalism and how does it tie into fatherhood? Or does it? Michael! That's right. So what sort of, in Scripture, what sort of um, federal heads do we have or federal fathers? And Jesus is called the second Adam for that very reason because there's headship in, in them. And so at, fathers represent those under them. Federal, our federal government... Um, it's a form of federalism where we don't vote on everything. We send a representative to vote for us. They represent us, um, sometimes well, sometimes poorly, right? But nonetheless, as they vote, we have voted, right? If we have elected them, as they vote, we have voted. So um, uh, there's the example of Manasseh in 2 Kings 21.9 that, that he 
his, he caused Israel to sin. You know, there's blood flowing through the streets, and yet it attributes the sin of Manasseh. He led all of Israel into sin. So as the father went, so went the children of the town. And so um, Adam from, uh, what, do we, what do we inherit from our father Adam? The sin nature, that's a good way to put it. We, in, we inherit the guilt and pollution of sin. What's the difference between guilt and pollution? Of sin. Any thoughts? The guilt and the pollution. Right, right. The corruption of it. Good, good way to put it. And then from Christ, if we're in Christ, if we're, we're united to Christ by faith, and he becomes our second Adam, what do we inherit from that father? What do we inherit from our new father? Perfection, his own nature, holiness, righteousness, and life, right? We inherit those things. So that what we get from our father Adam are terrible things. Terrible things. Um, this is a doctrine that, that people who come to Christianity really hate. Or the, the, the doctrine of original sin, where, where everybody is, is deemed guilty is really a hated doctrine. And then, yet, that's not where Christianity ends. Christianity ends with being given a new head in Jesus Christ from whom we inherit righteousness and eternal life. So, given... Okay, so that, that's, that's a whole bunch of areas, a whole bunch of thoughts, theological groundwork on fatherhood. Given these truths, how are fathers to act? How are we men here to be fathers. And so this is where I'm going to take Calvin's quote as a synopsis of fatherhood. I found this in his institutes and I thought it was a a wonderful summary of fatherhood. So listen to me while I say it and I'm going to ask you guys to give me those verbs in there, right? You remember them? Thomas, you remember those? Hudson? Samuel? So, here's the quote. I wish to impress upon my readers that the first step in piety is to acknowledge that God is a father to... Oh, man. I thought, it, I thought they had it. To defend, to govern, and love us until he brings us to the eternal inheritance of his kingdom. Let me say that whole thing again. I wish to impress upon my readers that the first step in piety, the first step in piety, the first part of being holy, the first part of getting anywhere close to God, is to acknowledge that God is a father. To acknowledge that God is a father. So so he's saying that that the first part of holiness is not... It's not to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. It's to recognize that God is a Father, right? That's the first part of piety, is to acknowledge that God is a Father, and then he goes on and describes what the Father does in three ways. To defend, to govern, and to love us. Until he brings us to the internal, eternal inheritance of his kingdom. So he's going to do those three things until he brings us all the way to his home, 
to his household, to the heavenly kingdom in his presence. So, to defend, to govern, and he uses the word cherish, and I'm changing that to love because I think he, we, we have a different understanding of the word cherish. Um, cherish seems to be a, too sentimental of a word, whereas love, I think he's getting at the, the depth of love. So, those things... That's a, that's a synopsis of fatherhood. If God is a father who defends, governs, and loves, then we as fathers are to defend, to govern, and to love. Those three things. Let's, let's think about that. James 1.27. What does James 1.27 say? Somebody's got that memorized. That's right. That's a word in there. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You're, you're really close. It's just a little off. So pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So to visit orphans and widows in their distress, what kind, what of those three categories does that fit into of fatherhood? Is it to defend? Is it to love? Is it to govern? Well, love certainly is a part of caring for widows and orphans, right? Yeah, it's defense. It's defending those who cannot defend themselves, primarily because orphans and widows are defined by their weakness, right? They cannot defend themselves. And so here, a father protects those who are defenseless, right? The f- fathers don't oppress the defenseless. Fathers don't rub somebody's weakness in their face. Fathers defend the weak, right? Just like Jesus defended us and as w- when we were weak. Exodus 32, we're going to jump around a bit. Exodus 32, 1 through 18, here we have the example of Moses being a father. And look what he does. Um, Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, remember that, Um, all those things, he took there, fashioned into an engraving tool, the calf, and Aaron, um, Aaron built an altar and made a proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone, this is God speaking, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. And then, what does Moses do? He prays for his people like in a very bold way, right? Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? Right? God had said, you brought this people out of the land of Egypt. Now he's saying, no, 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 no. 
You brought this people out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, oh man, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants. They will inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of the war cry. It's not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing, I hear. So here we see we see, we see Moses being a father by interceding on behalf of his sinful children. Right? His children had sinned. And God is ready to wipe them out. He's ready to consume them. And he says, I mean, he, he, he reminds God that the Egyptians are going to think you're foolish. I mean, can you imagine reminding God of these things? The Egyptians are going are gonna to think you're foolish, that you are evil. And then he throws the covenant in his face. He throws Abraham, Isaac, and Israel in God's face, boldly approaching God. And so he's being a father. He's def- in a sense, Moses is defending his people from God. God wants to wipe them out. He defends them before God, and so he's being a father with the father. So are there other examples of this? Um, Job 1. one uh, Job with his, his um, children, he would offer sacrifices for them in case they had sinned. Right? Um, John, John 18, another picture of fatherhood here. Turn to John 18. John 18, Jesus is in the garden when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having re- received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. Right? And said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheep. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So here we see Jesus being a father. We see him him protecting the sheep. 
his sheep are in the garden with him. He strides forth while they're back. He strides forth. He goes out and meets the enemy. He asks them whom they seek. And then he intercedes for them and he says, look, you've come for me. Leave these ones alone. And then... And then beyond that, he, um, he, well, he's worshipped. They, they fall before him in worship. And um, he's doing all of this in order to defend his people, right? He's doing all of that. Um, I always think of Jesus striding forth when I make my wife go out in front of me to do the dirty work that I don't want to do. And I think, you're not being like Jesus, Jesus was always ready to go to the entrance of the gate in order to defend those that were under his care. Do you allow your wife and children to fight your battles? Right? That's not good fatherhood. Um, That's not good fatherhood. All right. Um, So back to those things that, that Calvin said. To defend, to govern, and to love. Let's flesh those out a bit. How, how, how should we defend? How should we practice defense? Should we carry guns? Should we carry guns? I mean, isn't that a valid question to ask in this? Depends on where you go with that gun. Let's say it's Let's say it's around where Corey lives. Um, well, you know that Jesus, when, when he sent the disciples out the second time, he did tell them to take a sword. And we have to think that that wasn't in order to um, slice the bread and butter it, but that rather it was because they were, were going to be in um, difficult situations where their lives would be on the line. And yet here we see, um, we, we see Peter taking that offensive action when he shouldn't have, so that you can, you can actually be too aggressive. But I do think defense, a father defending his children, does include that um, protection of their lives against those who would want to um, man-steal, those who would want to kill. That there is, um, there is provision for this in the law of God for sure. Right, and so um, certainly that's a part of it. But what else is it? What else is defending your children? Good, absolutely. Teaching them how to. Um, to fight with words, to argue, to make arguments, to be able to hold their own in a world that will be hostile and in, engaged against them, right? That's part of, um, it's part of uh, teaching them self-defense, but um, it's the Father's role to teach them and to, uh, to defend. Um, what else? Yeah, it's funny. We allow predators in our house by our own choices. It does. 
their browser history. That's right. Yeah. Yes, yes. How else do we defend? Yeah. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, did you have your hand up? Yes, all the principalities and powers of the world yeah, being armed against them. Okay, so what about governing? Fathers are to govern. And um, how, how do they do this? How do they do this? How do fathers in any situation, not just families but elsewhere, how are they to govern? How does God govern us? He made the rules. God gave us His laws, God gave us direction, God gave us His yeses and His noes. He gave us um, what to pursue, what not to pursue. He gave us rules, um, not, not just rules, right? He, he also enacted through His Son's death our salvation, but he also, gave us, he also gave us ways to live. Um, so how, how are our earthly fathers to enact and to imitate God's authority? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, God, God ordered his creation on six days. He rested on the seventh. So there's even, even in nature, there's a rhythm that God has put in order that we can learn from. His authority over that nature is, um, should sink into our lives as well. That's why we have a Sabbath in the law, right? Um, how else? How else? Is authority exercised? He makes sure they do what they say, and how how uh, do they, does he do that? Discipline, absolutely. You can't talk about authority without discipline, right? That's why the state bears the sword. They can discipline, right? They've been given authority by God, and they use that authority for discipline, and it's very harsh. The church has been given authority and, they, and, and the church uses that discipline in order to bring people to obedience and they use the word and they declare the word of God and um, use the ordinances. Um, and, so, and then in the home, the father and the mother exercise that authority in punishing disobedience and praising righteousness. And so that's, yeah, that's God's means of, of uh, using his authority. Uh, anything else come to mind? Order? The place of security. The Father should provide that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what about love? 
How do what? Discipline is love. You are weird. Do you love it when I spank you, Esther? But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what you're supposed to say. Um, no, no, I mean, yeah, I, Hebrews 12 teaches us that, that it is because of the Father's love that He scourges, He whips His sons, right? So yeah, that's a part of love. Um, but let's not be so reformed about it. Can we be a more, little more evangelical about God's love? Flowers. Okay, the beauty of creation, things to enjoy. Yeah, he lavishes all kinds of, of tastes and, and sights and the beauty of the earth. I mean, there's a, there's a superfluity of, of glory all around us. And it's God just giving us things to look at and enjoy. That's great. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, how, the, the, the Psalms talk about God seeing us as the apple of His eye. Right? I mean, that, that's just astonishing. We think of God as a distant, um, a distant powerful, powerful um, discipliner. And yet, there's a, there's a um, this, this more warm sort of love that I'm trying to get at. Now, God's without passions, and I could get into all of those, those things, but that doesn't mean um, what we think it means. But um, there's, a, there's a desire that God has toward His, His people and their good that is astonishing and glorious. Maggie. The Bible. He loved us. Because he, he wrote down his words for us. Right? He didn't leave us to ourselves. He gave us all this good stuff here so that when we got depressed, we could read in the Bible and be encouraged. And when we were crying and hurting, that he would give us a psalm that would encourage us. Right? All those things. Yeah, that's love. That certainly is love. God, God has written us love letters in a sense. Communication, yeah. He communicates. The most loveless a, a father can be is to be silent toward his children and toward those who need, need encouragement. Silence, you can talk too much, and silence is good at times. The Proverbs teach us that. But so often fathers uh, are silent when they should not be silent. And that's just, that's the sin of Adam written throughout history, right? Adam was silent as his wife ate from the tree and he should have loved her and spoke. He did, what was that? He loved us enough to save us. The, the ultimate expression of God's love for us is Jesus being forsaken on the cross by the Father for our redemption, right? That sacrifice, there is nothing else like it to express the depth of the love of God for for us 
How do you imitate that kind of sacrificial love? Is that sort of, is it imitatable? Is that... Really? Right, right. Even the, even the teenagers, <clears throat> right? Well, look, I mean, think, think about all the ways that God has done this for you. Think about all the ways that God has been a father to you, that He has defended you, that He has governed you well. He has not been a silent, abdicating father. He has not been an overbearing father. He's disciplined you at all the right times. He's disciplined you in all the right ways. He has provided a Savior. He's a provider un- unlike any other. All the, everything you have, all the food you've eaten, all the clothing you have, all those good things God has given to you as a father. And abundantly, He's given you those things. And then beyond that, the the maraschino cherries that you put on top of the ice cream is he loves us. He loves us so much that he, he provided his son to die for us. So, um, God the Father is glorious and we need to um, think on his fatherhood. We need to imitate his fatherhood. But just remember those three fathers in here and and to a certain extent, mothers as well. But remember those three words, that God is a father so that he might defend, that he might govern, and that he might love. All right, Just think about those three words as you orient yourself toward where God has given you authority. Defend, govern, and love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are our Father. Lord, we ask that you would help us to better reflect your fatherhood, that we would not uh, forsake fatherhood so that we can live according to our own rules, but that we would study your fatherhood and study the words that you have written for fathers and that uh, we would reflect your glorious fatherhood. Father, forgive us for our failures. Forgive us for when we haven't defended uh, those that you've put under our care, we've let them defend themselves and we've stood back and just watched them flounder. Father, when we haven't governed, when we have refused to give directions because we're just being selfish. And Father, when we've been cold in our affection, when we haven't been praising but we've just been picking apart everything they do, Father, forgive us for that. I pray that we would uh, repent, that we would find the strength by the Holy Spirit, to be good fathers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.